Now this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you were in small group this morning, you were likely already in this chapter, and you're going to be in it again uh, with a little different angles. So I've already looked at that lesson. So look with me at Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. And, um, you know, last week, millions of, uh, millions of Americans, including myself, uh, watched as Michael Phelps lined up outside uh, the water, you know, as they get ready to, to to leap in and to begin to swim for what at this time was going to be his 20th gold medal. Um, and it's that one that sticks out in my mind. I know he's won, I don't know, like a dozen more since then. He What's he got like now? 24 or something like that? I lose, I lose count. Um, but this was for number 20, if I remember correctly, because there was another particular person, and I won't call him by name, but there was another particular person that was in the pool with him, and they had been jawing at each other for like three years. That's a lot of trash talk, right? Because there was like big gap, right, in Olympics. And so they had just been talking trash, like back and forth, and this guy had been kind of jawing at Michael Phelps a little bit, which that's a pretty big bear to poke. And so, but he decided to poke the bear a little bit, and uh, and so and we're watching. Christy and I were watching this race, and and, and Phelps is, and I might have even said this out loud. I can't remember when they're swimming, and I remember thinking, what if he got a cramp right now? You know, <laughs> you ever think about stuff like that? What if he pulls a hamstring? You know, I don't know. You know, what 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 if just something bad happens? What if all of a sudden he's like, you know, I, I need a break. You know, um, things happen, right? I mean, that was actually, I mean, obviously a very minute possibility, but that was a real possibility that he could have went in and could have got a cramp after those four years of preparation. That he could have. Um, Pulled a hamstring or something else. I don't know. Broke his toe jumping in the water. Um, a lot of things could have happened, but they didn't. Um, but you know, life is full of risk, and some are small, minute risk, and some are great, big, you know, scary risk. But life is full of risk. Bad things happen every day. Good things happen every day, and we cannot predict what is going to happen in a fallen world, as Ecclesiastes calls it, the world under the sun. None of us in this room has been into the future, right? There is no Marty McFly's uh, in the room. Nobody has went and got the famed sports almanac that is going to make you rich 20 years from now. Um, none of us have done that. We have to kind of wait and see what's going to happen. And we actually have zero control uh, to a large degree over much in our future. Some things we have a little control over in a sense of we can set ourselves up for certain things, but we don't really have control of the events that are going to happen, even if we prepare well for the future. There are a lot of things that we just have no control over. But, you know, Michael Phelps didn't win gold medals by thinking about his potential of cramping or pulling a muscle or hamstring. He didn't win gold medals by thinking a lot about losing or being afraid of the water. Can you imagine that? Now, growing up, I was terrified of water. And maybe that's why we, we, Cannon's swimming and he's like three, you know, I don't want him to be like me. I guess parents struggle with that, right? So I was very terrified of the water. Uh, I was wearing water wings way too late in life. And, uh, but I finally, I learned to swim, right? And I love the water now, but, uh, but even now I've still got a, a kind of a res, uh, respect, maybe, um, is a word I'll use that sounds better than fear, um, of water to a certain degree, right? And so I don't take risk out there really in that, in that world. But you don't learn to swim and you certainly don't become an Olympic swimmer without at some point jumping in the pool. Uh, there, there's at some point the water wings have to kind of come off and you kind of have to lunch off and you lunch, launch off and you just have to go and you have to move your feet and you have to move your hands and you have to swim. And if you're going to swim, you got to jump in. You just got to go. And I think at this point in Ecclesiastes, what we're going to see this morning is he wants us to learn to swim. 
That He wants us to jump in. He wants us to begin to act and do some things. He's told us of the unpredictable nature of life. Uh, Much of Ecclesiastes reminds us over and over again that you do not control things. You've seen that. If you've been with us over the summer, it's a lot in there about the uncontrollable nature of life. We had a whole week where we talked about that a few weeks ago. That's how things are out of our control. But this morning we're going to see, even though life is unpredictable and uncontrollable, He's going to show us that does not mean that we need to live defensively and do nothing. He's actually going to walk us through how to handle life in a very unpredictable world. So, as you read this passage this morning, as we walk through it, we're going to look at the first eight verses together of chapter 11. As we read that this morning, I want you to remember that it's in the context of He has spent a great deal of time talking about the unpredictable nature of things. And so he's built that up, and he really, in chapter 10, as he talks about follies, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 11, he really begins to turn the corner on just very practical application to living in this world where things can be so hard to predict. And two people tend to live to, one of, tend to go on one of two um, overreactions. And why that? Because we know the world's unpredictable. We, we've suffered various tragedies in the room and, and surprising events, whether positive or negative. And some people live like everything's going to break their way. They know the world's got a lot of risk in it. They, 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 they understand that, but they kind of think everything's just going to break their way and they almost live arrogantly. You know people like that? They don't live confidently, they live arrogantly. Life is more like a game than like, than like a life to them. Uh, it's kind of like what, what's there to lose. And so they, 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 they don't just risk, they kind of live unwisely to a certain degree. And then there's another ditch that you can get into and some people live like nothing's ever going to go their way. They live way too conservatively. They're, they're paralyzed by fear and indecision. They never take risk. And they have a long list of I wish I had and I should have had and I could have had. And they've got all kinds of stories they can sit around the campfire and tell you of the almost, right? You know, I could have been this. I could have been that. And you know people like that. Maybe you are some of that. We've all got some stories like that in our life. Because we tend to, in a risky world where things are unpredictable, we tend to either over-aggress, right? Chips are all in. Or we, we fold before we ever look at our hand every time. And I think the preacher in Ecclesiastes, as he calls himself, is going to challenge us to live boldly but wisely in this unpredictable world this morning. As you, if you're in small group this morning, you, you, as you walk through that passage, there was a lot of application to the financial realm because there's a lot of financial illustrations here. But I believe this picture is much bigger than that. He's talking about a new way to live. And it affects your finances, and it affects your work, and it affects your relationships. And he's illustrating with financial matters, but I believe the picture is broader than that. So look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning... Sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Let's pray together. Father, as we 
have read Your Word this morning, and as we're going to walk through it now together, would You help us to understand it and apply it to our lives? We're, wherever we're at in our journey with You, we know that You want to meet us right where we're at and take us closer to Jesus. So, Father, we pray that You would do that this morning with Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, in a fallen, unpredictable, scary world, how do we live with our resources, with our time, with our talents, with our very lives? I think there's a broad picture of that here this morning. And I believe there's, there's four very basic takeaways for us in this passage of how to live in an unpredictable world. And it's really ultimately an urge for us to jump in. He's in, a, in an unpredictable world, when you look at this passage, you just can't escape the theme of get out there and do something. Of, of beware. Yeah, you don't know. He says you don't know a lot of, it's like three or four times in this passage. Did you catch that? You don't know this. You don't know that. You don't know that. But it's constantly calling us to action. In the midst of the fact of all we don't know, he says act, act. Act, act. So the first thing, first thing we see this morning is in the first two verses there is that we need to act with bold faith and wisdom. In the midst of an unpredictable world, living our lives, and especially this morning if you are a Christian, we are called to live our lives by acting with bold faith and wisdom. He says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now that is a verse that you can go buy five commentaries and get about three and a half different uh, versions of what they think that means. The NIV, in my humble opinion, goes a little bit far in its interpretation of this and really, uh, rather than translates, more interprets the passage because this is really a hard passage to interpret. And cast your bread upon the waters, or in the Hebrew, to send your bread upon the waters. Two or three things that it could possibly mean. Uh, Here's the two most likely. One is, it could be a reference to giving to the poor. Um, in acts of good deeds. And so you think about somebody out there, uh, out, out down here at the lake maybe, maybe there's some birds there, some ducks or whatever, and they're pinching off some bread and they're throwing it on the water. And, and right, and you throw that bread on the water, you're not expecting to get that bread back, right? Uh, commentators call it thankless toil, right? And so you're just kind of, you're kind of throwing it out there. And he says, cast your bread upon the waters. And they say, this is acts of generosity. It's this idea of you, you're giving with no expectation to see it in return, but he's saying you are going to find a return. There, there is a blessing to come. Maybe not in this life, but in the end, you, you're going to reap what you sow. But there's another picture, and that is, some say it's about commerce and trade. This is what many of you learned in in your small group this morning. Imagine taking your bread, which can also be translated grain, and to turn a profit, you need to sell it. And so they would take it and put it... He's encouraging them in in this interpretation to send it out over the water, right? To, To send it off to another land, to another place across the water so it can be sold and so that you can get the return, right? Make the money off the bread when it comes back. Now verse 2 is also disputed when he says, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Some say this is a picture of generosity and it could be. Give to seven, give to eight, give it to an infinite number. He's saying be generous. You don't know what tomorrow holds. There might be a day where you don't have any money to give anybody or you might be in need and you need somebody to, to give to you. So one option there in interpretation is that it's about generosity. Others say it's about diversification. It's about the investment and it's about how you, why you're supposed to invest and how you're supposed to launch out in commerce and to trade and, and, to, and, and, and business acquisitions and all this sort of thing. You need to diversify your investment. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know what tomorrow holds. That one ship might sink, so maybe you ought to diversify on those ships, so to speak. Now, 
So these are kind of the two main interpretations people take. But really, we're going to see this morning, I, I think no matter which interpretation you take, the, the big idea that he's preaching to us in this passage, and in, this, in, in, in verses 1 through 8, especially 1 through 6, kind of stays the same. Now I tend to believe this is a commerce illustration about sending your grain out so you can get the return on your investment, and that you need to diversify the investments in light of the unpredictable nature of the world. But there's no reason for us to be dogmatic about that. The big picture that he's calling you and me to is to step out and get busy busy living. In the context of uncertainty and unpredictability, he says, don't do nothing. Right? Put your, put your grain on the ship and send it out. Well, what if the ship sinks? Yeah, the ship might sink. Uh, but generally speaking, that's not going to happen. You need to, you're not going to get anything back. You're not going to be able to sell the grain if you don't put it on the ship and send it off. He's calling us here to act in faith and wisdom, and it is an act of faith. But he's also calling us to wisdom because he says diversify, which is what I believe he's saying there. He's calling us to a calculated, wise step of faith. It's not some leap in the dark, it's, but it involves faith and it involves wisdom. It's about living boldly and not fearfully. Because see, that's your options, right? We can live in fear because the world's so unpredictable. What's happening around the corner? I don't know. Or we can live boldly by faith. Life is not without risk. It would be easy for someone to fear putting their grain on the ship in an uncontrollable sea. A few thousand years ago? Are you kidding me? He sees us as stewards in an unpredictable world. And stewardship requires action. It's not about hoarding. It's not about protecting your life all the time and getting everything as close as you can and gripping it in your hands. and you Apply that however you want to. I think it's got broad application this morning. Stewardship is not about hoarding your life. It's about stewarding your life. That means you have to release some things. He sees us as stewards of our time, our talents, our treasure of our lives. So in a world that's unpredictable, it inspires so much fear. How do you do that? Well, faith. Faith is kind of the unspoken word that runs through this text, I believe. Later in the passage, he points out that we don't know the works of God. We read that. Later on, he's going to call us to remember our Creator in our youth. He's going to call us at the end of the book to fear God and keep His commandments. It's a, all this is rooted in a faith relationship with the Lord. Learning to know and to trust God. Faith, however, is not without wisdom. See... Faith-filled people live by wisdom and wise people walk by faith. Faith and wisdom are not enemies. Sometimes we treat them like they are. We think wisdom means being calculated, never really doing anything. You're wise, so you just you do the, you bring everything in and you're being very wise and you don't ever take risks. We think of faith as just being the guy that's just jumping off you know, the side of the cliff. And No, 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 no. Faith and wisdom work together. Uh, they're both fruits of the Spirit when God's at work in your life. You will be filled with faith and with wisdom, and you will take risks, and it will be calculated. There will be wisdom, and there will be decision-making, and there will be things to weigh, but at the same time, you will take a step, and you will move forward with God. These things work together in your life. Since this is a financial illustration, let me give you a financial illustration. So, I'm 36. And I have a retirement plan that I give to every month. It's like a 403 whatever, some letter after it, B I think. Right? And I have to, I give to that every month. I give to that retirement plan. Now, I don't know a lot about investing, so I trust people that do know a lot about investing to handle how that money is invested. And I'll get some options. I can tell them, you know, I want to invest this money very conservatively. 
or I want to invest it kind of moderately, or I want you to be very aggressive with it. And because I'm 36 and because I'm hoping that I'm a long way away from needing that money, I invest it very aggressively. Because if it goes down, it's got more time to come up and things of that nature. And that's what they counseled me to do. So I invested very aggressively. But you know what? I know? This is what I know. I don't know all the things they invested in, but I do know this. Uh, when I get the report and things like that, it's a lot of different stuff. Uh, there's foreign investments and there's national investments here in, in our country. There are all kinds of different things. They're not just putting it all like, oh, let's just go spend all of his money on like Apple stock, right? It, it, no, it's, it's like it's diversified, right? And so that's kind of a modern illustration of what he's talking about there. But that's a principle in terms of the way we live life. There, there, yeah, you have to make the investment and you have to be patient and wait for the return. And you have to be wise in how you do it. But you have to do something because, as we're going to see here in a minute, if you don't sow, you won't reap. Now that's financially true, but that's just true in the way you live your life. He's calling us to live in such a way that we live boldly by faith in God, but fully understanding of the nature of this world. He's not calling us to forget either one. He's calling us on one hand to know, I live in a fallen, broken world and bad things happen. On the other hand, He's calling us to live boldly by faith. And we walk, both those things are true. And we live. The bottom line is to choose to steward your resources of time, talents, and treasure and not to be crippled by fear. To act in bold faith and wisdom. Think about Jesus. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Tempted by the devil and resisted. Challenged a corrupt religious system. Ate with sinners, which completely got him labeled. Willingly went to a cross to obey the plan of His Father and die for our sins. Rose from the dead. And then His message to you is follow Me. Don't you think the Christian life might involve some bold decision making from time to time? The one who says follow Me challenged a corrupt religious system. The one who says followed me went to a cross. The one who says followed me rose from the dead. The one who says followed me ate with sinners when it totally cost him his reputation with the religiously elite. The one who says follow me was led by the Spirit into a wilderness where he was actually tempted by the devil. Jesus will lead you into places of risk. He will lead you to bold decision making. The Christian life is not about safety. It's about living by faith and walking in wisdom. So what bread do you need to cast this morning? For the grain merchant, this meant sending their bread across the water, I believe. For the missionary, it means surrender to wherever God may be calling you to go. For the one who's earning an income, it's an encouragement to put your money to work or give money generously towards the Lord's work. For the parent, it means to get off the couch and invest in your family. It means your prayers that you're praying for your kids are not being prayed in vain. There's all kinds of ways to apply this. What this means is wherever you are in life, you're called to action, not simply reaction. You're called to action and not simply good intentions. Act in bold faith and wisdom. Number two, verses three and four. Avoid unnecessary indecision. In other words, avoid being paralyzed by events and circumstances. It says if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. Well, thanks, Kohelath, as he calls himself, preacher, 
Some say maybe Solomon. Thanks for such incredible wisdom here. You mean if the clouds are full of rain, they're going to empty themselves on the earth? I had no idea. But if a cloud was full of rain, that it would rain. Thanks so much for this wisdom here that if the tree falls down, it's going to be lying exactly where it fell. Right? Such profound truth we have here in verse 3. What's he saying? He's pointing out just... He knows you know this. He's not telling you anything you don't know. Rain you can see coming. Clouds get dark. And it's going to rain from time to time. Wherever a tree falls... That's harder to predict than the rain coming. It's going to be right where it right where it fell. His point is, life is full of good things and bad things. Sometimes you need rain and it rains. Sometimes it rains and it ruins your beach vacation. Sometimes you didn't want that tree anyway. Sometimes that tree falls on your house. Right? His thing is, life is full of both the good and the bad. And we have control over none of that. But, verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you sit and try and predict and control everything in life, the good and the bad, you won't do anything. You'll waste your life. Think about a boxer who studies his opponent. Right? He watches video after video because these guys, man, they're, you know, boxers and these UFC fighters and all these people, they study this stuff, right? And he studies, he knows exactly how and when that guy wants to throw his left hook. He knows exactly how and when he wants to jab and how many times he wants to generally do that. He knows if he's generally gonna, gonna, where, where he's gonna punch, when he's gonna punch, how he's gonna move, whether he wants to move around a lot or stand in one place. They study these guys, right? And so imagine a boxer who has studied his opponent and knows him inside out and he knows what he's thinking before he thinks it, and then he gets in the ring and he just observes, right, his opponent. And he studies his opponent and he looks at his opponent and then he wakes up and finds his opponent standing over him, right? Because at some point he's got to throw a punch or he's not a boxer, he's a spectator, right? And at the end of the day, that's kind of the picture that we have painted here. Be careful that you don't over-observe, that you become a spectator in life, that you're paralyzed in indecision by looking at the events and circumstances. For the boxer, oh, whoa, if I do this, he's, I saw him video, he's got that uppercut. If I do this, it's going to leave my this side of me exposed and he might punch me on my left. And he can just think and think and think and think and then the next thing you know, the guy just knocks him out, right? And that's what life will do to us. If we're paralyzed by indecision, by looking around at the events and circumstances around us, Commentators call this section paralysis by analysis. Unnecessary indecision. Don't be paralyzed by observation in life when you could be practicing participation in life. God's got stuff He wants you to join Him in. And if you're not careful, you'll spend all your time observing what's going on around you. This is a person who always has an excuse, sometimes a seemingly good one, for not deciding to act. Here's the truth. You can overthink things. You can overplan. If you're a planner, I know you don't like to hear that, but you can overplan and you can over... You can. At the end of the day, a, a plan, everybody should have a plan, but a plan is not execution. And thinking is not acting. You can be so focused on the perfect conditions for whatever moment you're looking to act in that you never do anything. This is true in kingdom work. It's true in the church. It's true in your home. It's true at your job. It's true in your relationships. Those in search of the perfect get pushed aside by those willing to actually do something. It's this life. And there's a rule of life. You reap what you sow. He says, this person, man, he never, he looks at the clouds, he never sows. He looks at the wind, he never reaps. Looks at the wind, he never reaps. Looks at the clouds, he never sows. He, he just, back and forth, he's just paralyzed. And the truth is, you reap what you sow. In Galatians 6, 7, the Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Man reaps what he sows. 
If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. And that's a spiritual truth. He's using something that we all know, a very basic truth in life, that you reap what you sow, that what you put into the ground is going to come back out of it. Right? What you plant is going to grow. He uses that to say it's true spiritually as well. And here in this passage, he wants us to know, you just see that all through Ecclesiastes, that you reap what you sow. Now, the fool doesn't believe that. He thinks he can plant turnips and get bananas. Right? You've, you've heard the old saying, you know, the person that sows their oats and, and prays for crop failure, right? Uh, and this is the person who's sowing and sowing and sowing and not really, or not really thinking what's going to happen, but here it's more about they just don't ever sow. They never sow, they never reap, because if you reap what you sow, guess what you reap when you sow nothing? Nothing. Yeah. Go, go till up a garden and put no seeds in it and go back a few months later and see how it looks. Now some weeds there that you didn't plant. If you don't plant, you won't reap. If you don't sow, you won't reap. If you never invest, you're sure not to gain a profit. And if you never act, you're never to see the reward. And if you don't read your Bible, you're not going to grow spiritually. And if you don't pray, you're not going to get an answer to that prayer. You can't reap what you don't sow. And the world is full of people who are wondering why they're not reaping, who refuse to sow what they wanted to reap. What is keeping this farmer from sowing and reaping? Timing. Oh, but the, the rain and the clouds. Oh, it's too windy. If I go out there trying to sow that seed, the wind's just going to blow it everywhere and I don't know where that stuff's going to spring up. And look, it's about the rain. I can't go out there and reap right now. It never seems to be the right time for this farmer in this passage. It's too windy. It's too cloudy. It's never the perfect time for anything. We must not be foolish. It's faith-filled wisdom, remember? Acting faith-filled wisdom. But we must not be indecisive either. And it's real easy to excuse our indecision and excuse our being paralyzed in a place for wisdom. When wisdom acts, wisdom actually does make a decision. Wisdom actually does something with our lives. You ever met a couple that's been dating since Friends was on TV? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, their first date was like watching Frasier together. You know, one of those couples? And they've been dating for like 15 years or maybe they've even been engaged. Well, aren't you married yet? Well, just timing's never right. It's never going to be right, right? The world's full of people like that. I've been working this job for 20 years. I hate it. I've been, I've been wanting to do this. Why haven't you done it? Timing's just never been right. Timing's never going to be just perfect. Sometimes timing's not right. Sometimes timing is an excuse. We've got to be careful not to let timing become our Lord when we worship the one who holds the times in His hands. You have to live by faith, so you have to live with wisdom, but you've got to sow. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Right? That's wisdom and faith. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make, your, make straight your paths. Who's going to walk on the path? The Lord's making straight your path. Who's going to walk on? You've got to walk on the path. Right? You've got you to choose to decide. Think about the ministry of Jesus. To go back to Him for a second. Did Jesus simply just observe? No, but He did observe, right? His, his ministry, though, was filled with decisive action, not mere observation. He didn't just observe sick people. Oh, look at all the sick people. We should do something about that. No, He healed people. Right? He didn't just observe the dead. No, He raised the dead. He didn't just observe the broken religious system. No, He went in and turned tables over in the temple and rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes of that day. And he set his face like flint, the Bible says, toward Jerusalem to go fulfill his mission. Jesus was a man of action. 
and a man of decision and not someone who always had an excuse that the timing just wasn't right. Some of us need to stop waiting for the perfect time, the perfect condition, and stop trying to control our lives and live by faith. You'll never have more time, so make time. Some of you got things right now in your life, the reason you're not doing it, you know you should do it, is because oh, I don't have enough time. You'll never have more time. You'll always have 24 hours in a day. So, make time to spend with your kids, to serve in your church, to reach out, to do ministry. You may never have more money. There's no guarantee of that. You may have less money 10 years from now than you do now. We don't know what kind of money we're going to have 10 years down the road. So you know what? You need to learn to be generous today. You need to learn to invest today. You need to learn to be a steward today. Stewardship's not for the wealthy. Stewardship's for anybody that's got anything in their pocket. We're all called to be stewards. And you're never going to know everything there is to know about God. So share your faith now and let God use your humility in the fact that you know you don't know everything. In church, God didn't call us to observe the wind. God's not looking for wind observers in His church. He's called us to set sail and to trust Him because He controls the wind. Right? Action. Decisiveness. Beware. Do not be paralyzed by your events and your surroundings. Do not be paralyzed in indecision. Number three. Verses five and six. Allow the unknowable to drive you to greater diligence. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb, he says, of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He says, you know what? You don't really know how God makes babies. The whole pregnancy thing just blows your mind, right? It does mine. I, I, it's just you don't really get how He knits that baby together in that womb. I mean, it's an incredible miracle of God that He does that. He says, you don't know how He does that. So... You know, you don't know the work of God that does everything. You don't know how God does everything He's going to do. You don't know when this is going to happen or that going to happen and what God's going to do in the future. So what does He say in response in verse 6? In the morning, sow your seed. In an evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I cannot predict God's activity. I can, predict, I can only direct my own behavior. He's saying, don't let what you don't know drive you to checking out and not acting. Let it drive you to harder work and greater diligence. What you don't know should make the faithful work harder, not less hard. It should drive you to greater bold faith, not less bold faith. Greater stewardship, not worse stewardship. You say, why is that? If there's so much, if there's so much uncertainty, why should it drive me to greater diligence in stewarding my life? Because while you don't know the work of God, if you're a Christian, you know God. And we're just saying He's a good, good Father. You, you don't know everything He's going to do, but you, you, you know His heart is good and His intentions towards you are good. So why would we always assume the worst? Why would we do that? Some people let the unpredictable nature of life sideline them. If I can't control the outcome, I just won't play the game, in other words. You know, growing up, I loved, one of the things I loved about playing video games, and I loved the uh, sports video games, because I could go in there and set the settings how I wanted it to work. Right? And so I'd go in there and I would say, you know, I want to, the little things that make the little players out there on the football field run out of energy, I'm going to turn that off. Because I'm going to give it to this running back every play. Right? Or whatever. You know, I could set it, the timing, how I wanted the clock to work. I could set the rules. And then if I'm playing the game and I'm playing against the computer and I don't like the way it's going, there's this button I can push. And we'll just start over. Right? And that's one of the things I loved about it. Because if I couldn't win the game, I wasn't going to 
play the game. And some people live life like that. They want to control it. They want to have it all together. And if they don't understand and don't know what's coming around the corner, it's just kind of like, I just won't play. I just, I'm just going to sit on the sideline. But rather than being a quitter or a whiner or a procrastinator or indecisive, a shoulda, coulda, woulda kind of person, he's saying you need to be diligent. And you need to instead sow in the morning and sow in the evening because you don't know what God might choose to prosper in your life. You have no idea. Why would you assume the worst? You don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what scattered seed He'll take and, 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 and grow and what seed won't grow. You don't know. So just sow. Stop worrying and start sowing. Start living your life and start doing things. Who knows what God might do? Now, this goes right along with how Jesus taught us to live. In Matthew 25, one of Jesus' more famous parables is the parable of the talents. Do you remember that one? Have you read that one before? If you're not familiar with the Bible, in Matthew 25, Jesus gives this, this parable of the talents and He tells a story of this owner that gives these servants, these stewards, He, he gives them each three different uh, varieties of, um, of um, talents. And He gives one two talents, and He gives one one talent, and He gives another guy five talents. And then He goes off on His journey and when he comes back, the one with five talents comes to him and goes, look, I took and I invested this and I've turned it in. It's now ten talents. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Another guy, he, he has two talents. He goes and invests and he comes back to the owner and he says, look, I've turned, it's four talents. I invested it. It became four talents. He says, well done. You did great. Great is your reward. And then the other guy comes and he had only been given one talent, which tells you something about what the owner thought about him, maybe. Maybe he kind of, you know, I can't trust this guy, right? And he comes back, but he's still got the one talent. He's like, look, you gave me my ta- this one coin, this one talent, and I'm bringing it back to you just like it's in good, you know, I, I buried a hole in the ground, I stuck it down in there, I wrapped it up, you know. No, he's, he said, I knew you were a hard man. And you, you reap in places you didn't even sow. And so you know what I did? I kept this safe. And here it is. And he looks at him and he rebukes him. He rebukes him for his poor stewardship and not being willing to take the risk and and do something. And what is Jesus doing in this passage? What's he doing in that? He's rebuking defensive living. He's rebuking the idea that it is my job to live like this and to protect everything and just try to survive. So why would Jesus tell a parable like that? Because this is the same guy that says, take up a cross and follow me. This is the same guy that says that we're, we gotta risk it all. We gotta lay it all on the line or we're not even worthy to be his disciples. Because Jesus doesn't want us to just simply live defensively. He's called us to be stewards, to be proactive, and to steward our time, our talents, and our resources. But what happened to this guy in the story? He, he, misinterpreted who the owner was, who the boss was. He misinterpreted his character and out of fear, he didn't act. And you've got to be real careful that you don't misunderstand who God is. And you just live in fear of Him. Not the good biblical kind of reverential awe, but just this He's out to get you kind of thing. He's just looking for a reason to smack you on the head and say, I told you so. That's not God. He's a Father, right? We sing He's a good, good Father. And He wants you to steward. And He wants you at times to take measured risk. He wants you to set sail. He wants you to do some things. He wants you to act. That's Jesus' point in that parable. And I think that's the heart of this passage. Work hard at your job. Work hard to invest and steward your resources wisely. Serve in and through your local church with all your heart. Strive to live on mission with passion. To steward your family well. Why? Because when you sow, things grow. And you don't know or control what will or won't, so just sow a lot. 
For the Christian, the unknowable shouldn't paralyze us, but energize us. Because while we don't know much, we know Him. We know God, our good God. In church, what we don't know about the future shouldn't paralyze us corporately either. We should be diligent in ministry, making disciples, because we don't know who or how many God will save or what God's going to do and when revival might break out or awakening might come. We don't control those things. We simply till and sow and plant seed and continue sowing. You know, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. It's another parable of Jesus. Gives you an inclination into how he wants us to live. He tells a parable of the sower, and he's, he tells this parable of somebody going out and sowing seed, and it falls on four different kinds of soil. And three of them either bear no fruit, or it kind of springs up some fruit for a little while, some vegetation, and then it just dies off, and only one bears good and lasting fruit. And Jesus said that that story was about people, what they do with the Word of God, what they do with the Gospel. It's really a story about conversion. And his point is that there, the Word of God and this Gospel gets scattered out. And sometimes the seed just hits the soil and it just doesn't take. It's too close to the path. It's stony ground, whatever. Things in this world choke it out, Jesus said. Different things happen. And sometimes it might even look good for a while. And then at some point it falters. It walks away. It, it withers. But only one soil, he said, is good soil. So think about that. Jesus in that parable gave... Four kinds of soil, and only one of them were any good. Think about the statistics there. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to teach us that, you know, only one out of four people, that's not the point. But I do believe there's a point in this. It's, a, it's the parable of the sower. It's teaching us about going and sowing the seed of the gospel. It's teaching us about going and, and, and seeking to expand the kingdom and to invite people to Christ and to share the gospel with people. And the point is, we don't know what kind of soil it's going to land on. We don't control that. We just control whether we scatter the seed or not. And so in ministry, Jesus calls us to go and to sow the seed. And to sow the seed and to realize, yeah, a lot of that seed is not going to bear fruit. And some of it's going to bear much of fruit. And ten and a hundred times, Jesus says. But what we don't control, we don't worry about. What can we control? Whether we sow or not. Living in bold faith and action. Not allowing what we don't know to paralyze us, but to drive us to greater diligence. Because here's what I do know. There's one type of soil out there. If the seed of the gospel hits it, oh my goodness, it's life-changing. It bears fruit ten and a hundred times and over and over again. And that person goes and begins to sow seed. So we go and we sow because of the one good soil that we're praying that it lands on. You see, Jesus taught us to live that way in ministry. Jesus taught us to steward our lives that way. And I believe that's what Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to do this morning. Is to get out there and live and to serve and to act and to not sit on the sidelines with shoulda, woulda, couldas. Last observation. Verses 7 and 8. Number 4. Always choose joy in the midst of the unpredictability. Life is unpredictable. He comes back to this over and over again. About, about every other week I have to tell you to be joyful. Because that's what he tells us. About every other week it's like joy, 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 joy. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is, is vanity. Now, remember that word can mean a lot of different things. That vanity, havel. Frustration. Here I believe it's vapor. All that comes, your life that's coming until now, between now and death, is, is like a vapor passing before you. When he says light is sweet, he's saying it's good to be alive. To, to walk, to open your eyes and see light is a good day. 
Right? To walk outside and feel the sun on your face and the humidity on your skin is a good day. Light is sweet, he says. It's a blessing to be alive. In verse 8, so if you live a long time, enjoy every single day. Don't take it for granted. Death is real and it's coming and it's long. And we'll be dead longer than we were alive on this earth. It's easy to let the unpredictable, uncontrollable nature of life rob us of joy. But if you know Jesus this morning, your joy is not in the circumstances of life, but in Him. Don't let the crazy of life rob you of the joy of Christ. Take time to stop and enjoy your life, to rejoice in the day that you've been given and the potential of that day. This kind of living is only possible if you know Jesus. Apart from Him, the world just feels like chaos. It really does. The fact that you don't know what tomorrow holds or when death is coming, this is all terrifying apart from Christ. should be. It's been said Ecclesiastes is like the question and Jesus is the answer. So here the question might be, how? If the world is so unpredictable and full of sometimes bad events, if death is so in- inevitable, how am I supposed to rejoice in life? Well, listen to what Jesus said in John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I want to put my joy in you and so your joy will be full. In chapter 16, verse 24, He says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 13 of chapter 17, He says, He's praying to His Father before He goes to the cross. And he says, But now I am coming to you, Father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Right there in those three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, you see the reoccurring theme of Jesus giving us His joy. Jesus praying and seeking the joy of His church. Jesus is concerned about your joy today, church. Better than that, He wants you to have His joy and for your joy to be full. And that's good news. And this only comes through personal relationship with Him. It only comes through walking by faith with Him. It only comes by putting our eyes on Him and not our circumstances. You know, nobody, as I said earlier, has ever been as decisive as Jesus. Decisively came and willingly laid down His life for us. And the fullness of time had come, as the Bible tells us. He wasn't paralyzed by indecision or inaction. He knew his father had a plan and he trusted his father. He obeyed his father and he willingly and lovingly laid down his life so that me and you can be saved and forgiven of our sin. So maybe today, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you've never crossed the line of faith, maybe today you need to discover the joy that can only be found in this unpredictable world through Christ. Maybe you've noticed the unpredictable, crazy nature of our world and it scares you. You think, how in the world can I be filled with joy? It's only found through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only found through repenting of your sin and embracing Christ who died for you and rose again. Maybe today as a believer, you need to launch out. Maybe there's action that God is calling you to. You need to walk by faith. Are you paralyzed in inactivity? Has fear of the unknown kept you from diligence in the known? What life adjustments do you need to make? And how you steward your time, your treasure, your talents, your abilities. What kind of life adjustments would God be calling you to today? Maybe you need to steward your treasure better. Maybe it's your time better. Maybe it's your talent and abilities and gifts better. The point is, follow Jesus. And be willing to take risks. It's not a defensive life. It's an adventure of faith. 
not live simply on the defensive. We have a, a mission that we're called to. We've got a purpose that God has for us. And we're to launch out by faith and to live it. And that should affect every realm of our life. Yeah, our finances will life. And how we, how we make wisdom decisions there. But all of life.